This is the Horse Radio Network. You're listening to the Stall and Stable Show. Ideas for happy horsekeeping. We are back in the podcasting groove, listeners. In this episode, I talk with Yash Balasaria, CEO of American Stalls, our title sponsor. The segment that Yash and I do this time is a Q&A type, mailbag version. Listeners submitted questions, I posed them to Yash, and we all learn a little bit more about what goes into building out the interior of your stable, whether it's a small one, a large one, a temporary one, or a permanent one. You're sure to find some interesting information in this conversation. So listen in. This is episode 102 of the Stall and Stable Show. I'm your host, Helena Harris. Today's Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors are American Stalls and Tangent Materials. Horse stall equipment is one of the largest investments that you'll make for your horse's safety and comfort. This is why American Stalls focuses on equipment that fits more than just the inside of your barn. Their mission is to design products that fit your farm, your design goals, and your lifestyle. And it all has to stand the test of time. You know what they say, do it right or do it over. Well, no one in the horse world has the time or the money to do things over. So doing it right the first time means doing it with American Stalls. To learn all about their extensive selection of fine stall equipment, visit them online at AmericanStalls.com or follow them on Facebook and Instagram where you'll find lots of great photos of their products. Holy guacamole, what a summer it's been. Ah, but I'm back and I hope you guys are all well and that you've had wonderful adventures. I'm going to very briefly tell you about mine. I'm going to give you the quick and dirty, and maybe over the next couple of episodes, I can get into details. So let's see, it's September 7th, and we took a break for July and August, which was a much needed break, but it's partly because, um, well, I had a lot going on, but I've been working on some really cool projects with horse and rider books. So stay tuned for that. I took a trip out to Flag is Up Farms in California to visit Monty Roberts, Debbie Laux, Jamie Jennings, and the gang there. We did some work with them. I was part of the movement that is presented by Flag is Up Farms. I mean, it didn't even feel like work. It was one of the most enjoyable experiences I've had in a really long time. I'm also working closely with Debbie and her team on a project that they have going on for the California Horse Center. And uh, maybe I'll have Debbie on and we can talk about that in a future episode. Uh, Okay, so then I came back from there, went up to Maine to Unexpected Farm with Clarabelle for a month. And uh, we're in training with Chelsea Kennedy. Clarabelle, my friends, is, I can't even call her a peach. What's sweeter than a peach? A watermelon? A plum? Bubblicious? She is, oh my God, I just love, love, love this horse. She's awesome and she's perfect for me. So together, Chelsea and I were getting her started under saddle in all the right ways. And (laughs) halfway in between that adventure, I got on a plane and flew down to Georgia with Grace so she could do her summer swarm for college. That's essentially their orientation. Flew back from Georgia, spent a night or two at home, went back to Maine, 
And unfortunately, I had contracted a cold, not COVID, a cold. Well, this cold was bizarre. And within three or four days of returning to Maine, I ended up in the emergency room with severe dehydration. Not like me. I'm, I'm not a health or physically dramatic person. So for me to go to the emergency room was a big deal. Okay. Um, I survived that. Came home a few days later because it was kind of scary. This thing wasn't going away. I was like, I have to have COVID. I must have long COVID. What's happening? Went back to the doctor for some more blood work. And it uh, turns out I have infectious mononucleosis. Go figure. Yeah. I'm 95% of the population is infected with the Epstein-Barr virus, which is the source of mono. But I'm one of the few people who wasn't. Uh, apparently, everybody gets it when they're in high school or college. Um, I never drank out of anyone else's red solo cup. <laughs> Maybe that was my saving grace. But it got me this time around, and I'm down for the count. This thing is brutal, uh, especially when you're over a certain age. So that means I won't be able to do any kind of riding or barn work or any physical activity. Um, let's see, I'm actually recording this in the middle of August. Hopefully by the release of this episode, I will be better. You'll have to check my website or my Facebook page to find out. Okay, there was that. And that's pretty much just it. Brody, Susie, sitting around doing a whole lot of nothing while I recuperate. <sighs> It's okay. I have the first world equestrian problem of too many horses, not enough me. <laughs> so in order to kick off this next season of Stall and Stable, I'm delighted to have returning our title sponsor, American Stalls, their CEO, Yash Balasaria. And today, Yash and I are going to answer some questions that we got from listeners over the summer. Basic questions about what goes into selecting stall components, his opinion on what works, what doesn't work. I have a couple of questions of my own. So I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Hopefully you are now all caught up on Helena's adventures. Gosh, there's so much detail that I want to talk to you about. And maybe in the next episode, I will. Okay, that's it for me rambling. We're going to welcome Yash Balasaria, CEO of American Stalls. Hi, Yash. Welcome back to Stall and Stable. Thank you so much for having me again, Helena. Our conversation is kicking off the official fall season. We took a break for July and August to do all sorts of horsey things. How's your summer been? Summer has been great. It's been a little bit hectic. We uh, hectic both on the personal and business end of things. Have been traveling a lot, and you know our team has been delivering more and more beautiful projects, which are slated to install and deliver this fall and late summer. So it's been a really good summer. We're blessed, and we're really excited to get into fall as well. Good. I was wondering if the equestrian industry would start to slow down a little bit. After the pandemic, everybody was like, all things horses, all things barn. But I was wondering if that would level off. So you're saying no, you're busy as ever. I think the thing with equestrians is that we're all 24-7. Whether <laughs> day to day, week to week, we're, we're busy and the show season doesn't stop. So um, we've been busy as ever. Good. That's good. So today's conversation is going to address some questions that we had from listeners. So we're just going to get started. How's that? Sounds great. Let's right. dive in. This is our mailbag. The first question says, I live in central Florida where rain and humidity are frequent visitors. What would you suggest for stall front materials in my 10 stall center aisle barn? 
But I think when it comes to Florida or really any sort of locations that might have a high salt exposure, we always really recommend our core materials that we use on everything. We don't really deviate from it. So that's pre-galvanized steel. Again, what that means is, you know, raw carbon steel with a little thin layer of zinc that's applied somehow in manufacturing to that steel to bond it together. That zinc layer, which is the galvanization layer, that essentially provides a little bit of protection uh, as, a, as a layer of protection against uh, salt water exposure and other sort of elements that you see in a horse barn. So that provides one layer of protection. And just make sure that, especially if you're in South Florida, the first place that's always going to rust is going to be the welds, and um, whether and and usually you'll see the rust happen in, you know, further down the line after you've made your purchase. But you'll usually see in the bottom most of the stalls. So let's say the bottom corners of your stall door, or if you have a European stall front, you'll see it on the base plates. Um, so just make sure that if you're in Florida and you're buying any sort of steel framed equipment, that the welds also have some sort of zinc rich primer. So that's why we just recommend to just uh, check with the manufacturer, make sure that there's zinc priming that weld that weld point, and then uh, on top of all of that, we just go ahead and apply a really really heavy duty time tested powder coat finish. Is the powder coating can the, can that be in colors? Yes, yes. Yeah. So black is the most common. Okay, but we offer five or six standard colors, but we can also power coat to match. So we've had customers who want a certain color, they will send us a Sherwin-Williams paint chip or a car paint chip, and we can go ahead and match it almost to a 90% uh, accuracy. So. Wow. I mean, black is universal. It just goes with everything. And, and I think it's a classic look. But listeners, if you want to go back to episode 97, where Yash and I talked about this stuff in detail about the types of steel, the welds, it's episode 97. I think we aired it on June 14th. So just go to stallandstable.com and look for that. You know, one of my favorites, especially in humid areas, is the mesh uh, doors, the stall doors being mesh or wood. What kind of materials do you think... I mean, I know people can ask for whatever they want, but what do you think works best in that type of Central Florida location? Yeah. Is wood good? Is it an engineered wood? Or is it better yeah. to go with mesh? What do you think? Great question. So a uh, couple of things really recommend if the customer can can go with it. Having some sort of vented bottom on the door is always phenomenal. It doesn't matter what climate you actually are in, whether you're in, in Florida or you're in New Hampshire, it's it's a total recommendation. Airflow, you can never have too much uh, ventilation, airflow, and visibility within the stall. So really recommend that. What I mean by vented bottom, that means either one-inch round bars on two-and-a-half-inch centers on the bottom of the door. So that means that the end-to-end -end spacing between bars would be an inch and a half. Um, so like so a mini all. grill at the bottom of the door? Exactly. So that's one. So that's really popular with folks um, who want a little bit more of a classic traditional look. So that's a really safe option because of the spacing of the bars. So that's option number one. Another option is what you mentioned is the mesh, which is a two inch by two inch uh, kind of square grid design. And that, you know, both designs are phenomenal. They're just two different kind of looks, but they achieve the same purpose, which is increased ventilation increased airflow within the barn as well, um, which helps move a lot of the, the odors within the barn and also allows you to have clear visibility and maintaining a clear sight line from anywhere in the barn into the stall to see what your horse is doing. Yeah. I've been in barns where the material inserted in between the frame, the steel frame of the door has been some sort of engineered wood or something that looks like wood and it invariably gets a kick in it. 
and it stays that way. And you can see this foam interior. And I was like, nope, I'd, I'll never put that in my barn. Well, Helena, well, I'll actually, what's a really cool option. So when, when we get into stalls, we provide three lumber options and they're three of the best lumber options in the market. You know, I think a lot of clients, uh, there's just, there's so many lumber options on the market and a lot of clients will choose a soft wood as opposed to, you know, a more durable, harder wood. Um, what we provide as standard is a Southern yellow pine lumber, which is construction grade one. That just means what construction grade one means is that one, it's kiln dried, gives a li little bit more dur durability. Secondly, also it just kind of refers to the to the tensile tensile strength of the lumber itself. So so that's really important. So the lumber is is a is a big component. Um, the the southern yellow pine is a standard one. Two options that are a little bit more pricier but require less maintenance in terms of uh, how quickly they rot um, or how well they take horse impact um, would be one is what we call a Brazilian tiger wood. It's it's kind of our name for a for a wood that comes from South America, but that's a really nice, deep, rich look, but it's also incredibly strong. So for example, if you took an electric blade to the, the tiger wood versus the Southern yellow pine, <laughs> the tiger wood is pretty darn strong. And if you're not doing it right, it might kick back. Um, it's that strong. It's it's definitely much more expensive, but it's just really beautiful and very strong. The only catch with the Brazilian tiger wood is that you can't really stain it. You essentially let it age on its own. You, you might be able to put an oil base on top of it, but you really can't stain it different colors in a way that you can with a southern yellow pine. Uh, what color does it age to? It's kind of, it's not like a cherry, but it's similar to a cherry and it's just really deep and rich. And the reason why we call it tiger wood is because it kind of has the spotting and some of the characteristics of a tiger. That sounds very charming. I mean, to me, um, you know, Southern yellow pine, when it ages, it ages as yellow, which is why I like to, to, to stain it a, a more brown, like a richer color. And we'll definitely put a picture up in the show notes. So it sounds to me like if you are really concerned about durability and the strength of the wood, pay, pay more money up front and you'll only need to do it once. You're not going to be replacing boards all the time because they've cracked or they bent or they've been kicked and they now have a dent in it. That's not even something I would have thought about. You know, I, most of us are like, all right, let's just get our barns up and built with it for the lowest cost possible. But we forget to think about the long-term costs of maintaining it. And I don't know, people, but if you think your horses don't kick, <clears throat> yeah, wait until fly season. Kind of going on maintenance, though, one, one other, one last option that we provide, which is actually really popular, both in private farms, but also increasingly in facilities that have biotech needs, whether it's a vet or some sort of uh, whatever have you, is, is an HDP. It's essentially a recycled plastic composite wood. And that's really popular. We we sell that in the same tongue groove configuration. And we're selling that actually more and more in Florida. It's just it, what you mentioned about maintenance, right? When it comes to a horse barn, there is so much maintenance on everything. <laughs> so whenever you can reduce the the maintenance on a day-to-day -day basis and on a long-term basis, it helps your, you know, your checkbook, it helps your sanity. So the HDP is is quite popular. It it's a very nice, sophisticated look. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan of HTPE and we can talk about that in another episode, especially about operating costs. Okay, let's move on to our next question. We have a 14-foot Iowa, 
Should we get a single sliding door, or do you think it's better to get two that open from the center? Yeah, that's a great question. This will be driven by the client's preference at the end of the day and also their budget. But for a 14-foot aisle, it's always recommended to have a split sliding door configuration, not a one-piece. The reason why is if you have a 14-foot aisle, you're going to have a door that's going to be either a little bit shorter than that or a little bit larger than that, depending on the rough opening of the actual door opening. Um, we can't ship a 14-foot wide. And, and usually most barn uh, door openings are at least 10 foot, right? They're 10 to 12 feet at a minimum. So we, so we can't ship a 14-foot by 10-foot or 12-foot door on a flatbed truck without designating it as oversized, which requires a larger truck, which is going to almost double your freight bill. So we can definitely build it. And there's no functional issues uh, per se, although you might want to consider the amount of weight that's on that door and that's hanging off the tracks and the trolleys. Um, but from a purely budgetary and planning purpose, we we always recommend clients to go with a split sliding door. And I would too, just for functionality. It's more practical and um, if you have an opening that big, one of the things that I like to do is I'll pull my barn door, my aisle door, close part of the way in order to cut the sunlight, the direct sunlight that's coming in from any particular angle. And it just, it lowers that heat value inside the barn. And yeah, like you said, who wants to move a 14 foot door, even if it stays open most of the time, you know, they're just harder to handle. So listeners, I would suggest also that the split for practical purposes on so many levels. Um, and you can make a you can take a beautiful single door, split it down the middle, and not lose any of the charm, right? That's right. And and you know uh, another thing to consider, and and you mentioned all the great points that I was going to cover, um, but but really the only other thing to consider is you know again most folks and and us we can we can design and fabricate a single sliding door that's going to operate really well. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of large facilities um, that that need those for whatever reasons. But another thing to consider is if you have a 14 foot, you know, single piece door, you need to make sure you have that clearance on the other side to, to fully open it too. Right. So it really only works um, in a very large facility structure where you have a large building facade. So. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Next question. <clears throat> and this is one that I have myself. At what point in the building process should I order my stall components? And can I send you my barn plans ahead of time? So once I decide on my plans, can I send them to you and you can help me decide what components to buy? What's the timing of that like? So each each project is a little bit different, Elena. Like I think when it comes to ordering, we we have clients all over the map. I'll give you an I'll give you a couple of examples. There's no right or wrong, by the way. But rule of thumb is that if you can get us involved as early as possible, it's going to make everyone's life easier, including your barn builder, your life, and our life. Um, the reason why we say that is because we might not have familiarity with that builder. That builder might not have familiarity with our components, but the client is set that they want to use American stalls. For us to make sure that we communicate how our systems operate and how they install, and making sure that the builder has all of those notes ahead of time to make sure that he or she can accordingly plan the build, that's really important. So that's number one. Um, number two, in terms of when to purchase it, again, it just depends. And especially in today's day and age with inflation and raw material costs, it's just all over the map. We have so many customers, Elena, who have bought their stall equipment a year, year and a half before. So they bought it 
almost a year, year and a half ago, and they locked in pricing and we just purchased materials for them. We fabricated and, and, you know, it's just sitting in our facility and, um, we can go about doing it that way. We have customers who have projects that they need it. So today is August 11th. They need it on October 16th. And so we'll get right to work. So it just depends. We recommend customers to come to us as soon as they can. Okay, moving on to the next question. My horses don't have stalls. They have run-in sheds in their pastures. I'd like to make those sheds an enticing place for my horses to lay down. Can I put your stall mattresses in those sheds? Will they withstand the weather? So you guys, American Stalls, have this whole line of products, rubber stall mats and pavers and stuff. Um, We can talk about that in detail at another time, but your stall mattresses is really what this person's talking about. Yeah. So when it comes to the running sheds, you can 100% put on mattresses. For folks who are not very familiar with what that even means, if you can imagine a typical 12 by 12 stall, and usually folks are pretty familiar with, let's say, interlocking rubber mat. So in a 12 by 12 stall, you usually would put six individual pieces of four by six interlocking mats that are usually three quarter inch. The issue with interlocking mats is there's not enough padding in them. So if you have a horse that might have arthritis or other issues, the, the interlocking mats might not provide as much cushion as needed. Also, there's a lot of creases. And um, if you can imagine an interlocking mat system, it's kind of like a puzzle piece, right? So a lot of the urine and a lot of the liquids can seep through those and kind of provide a not so nice odor. Oh, but yeah. We I, just pulled all of ours up this summer and power washed the entire barn. It was disgusting. Yeah. And, and I'm fastidious about keeping my barn clean. And this was mostly just because urine had seeped through the seams of my stall mats. Yeah. And that requires a lot of cleaning and really mindful, thorough cleaning. So that's, you know, I think a lot of your listeners will be familiar with that system. The mattress system, in contrast, you can put into a run-in shed. The only the only thing you need to make sure that you have is that some run-in sheds don't have a perimeter, especially on the front opening of the, of the soil openings, but you should have a, at least what we recommend, at least have a six by six pressure treated perimeter uh, to make like sure- Like a that threshold it, over the front of it, across the front. That's right. Exactly. And the reason why you need that is the mattress system is the first component is a multi-celled mattress pad that comes in four by six sections. So you lay those down and they're really, really heavy. And they're probably two and a half, three inches thick, those mattress pads. And then on top of it, you go ahead and spread a rubber crumb on top of it to kind of level it, which provides a little bit more shock absorbency as well. And then the last component of the mattress system is what I think is the coolest part, which is a seamless one-piece top cover that's rubber coated. It's industrial grade. And the rubber coating provides that anti-slip kind of element to it. And that top cover is, if you have a 12 by 12 stall, it'll be slightly larger than 12 by 12. And that's because the top cover goes on top of the uh, laid mattress pads and the rubber crumb. And then the sides get fastened to your barn walls and to your thresholds or your concrete curb. But in a run-in shed, it would be to your threshold. And those get fastened using plastic fastener strips, which then you can use wood screws to fasten it onto the stalls. And then you cut the excess top cover. But the beauty of the mattress system, in which it's it's actually getting really popular nowadays, is one, all the liquid stays up top. And so the top cover is non-porous in nature. And then when you're bedding as well, the bedding's purpose is to soak up that liquid. And then you can have a really easy mucking session. And it's just totally seamless. You can make it work in a run and shed for sure, Elena. Awesome. Okay, 
Last question. And this is my question because I really don't know a lot about portable horse stalls, but portable horse stalls is kind of how American stalls got started. Who buys them? And how do your customers typically use them? So, you know, if I'm going to a show venue, if I'm hauling off to a show venue and I pay for stabling, most of the time that stabling is under a tent and it's temporary stalls. So they go up and they come down after the show takes place. Are they just for commercial purposes or does the individual farm owner have use for them? Tell us about who buys your portable stalls and how they're used. Yeah. So, I mean, usually, Helena, our, our, our demographic that purchases the portables are commercial facilities. That can be anyone from, you know, a training facility that might, or a training facility or actually even a breeding facility that might just need stalls for, for overflow. And they'll have a setup out back and so forth. So that's one sort of customer. We also have a lot of competition, smaller boutique competition uh, facilities. Um, so whether it's a small regional horse show or it's a polo facility, they'll have, again, for visiting horses. So that's one option. And those folks will go ahead and purchase, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 to 40 stalls, which is a great solution. So there's that. The The biggest clientele that we have is, is usually expo centers and fairgrounds, which you alluded to. And for example, we're doing 500 stalls right now for Quarter Horse Congress that's going to deliver in the next few weeks. So that's going to be a really cool project. But that's for, again, it's for spectators and visiting horses and stuff. The reason that I'm asking is because one of my clients, I, I actually have a handful of clients who have said, we just inherited this property or we just bought this property or we're trying to save it and we're not really horse people, but it's this functioning horse farm and we're not sure what to do with it. So some of the business models that make sense are showgrounds. This has happened on two occasions. So one of the investments they would need to make is portable stalls. There's maybe a small barn on the property, 10 or 20 stalls, but right. So they need the temporary stabling. Um, what I'm struggling with is <clears throat> the label, portable stalls, temporary stalls. You can collapse these stalls and put them back up. I mean, that's the real value, right? Put them up and take them down when you don't need them, right? Yep, exactly. Okay. And do they fold up? Like how easy is it to deconstruct these things? So we carry them in nine by nines or 12 by 12, nine by nines, because that's more of a true expo stall. Um, whereas yeah. 12 by 12 is more of a standard stall. Uh, the 12 foot panels might weigh about 165, 170 pounds, whereas the nine foot panels might weigh 140, 130 pounds or so. So they're really easy to fold down. They just, um, what you do is you go ahead and disassemble the disassemble the stall from the connector brackets. And once the connector brackets are off, you just go ahead and stack them by panel. Oh, I like yeah. that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that <laughs> that answered the question. I'll actually, I'll actually give you one example, Helena, which is really cool. I have a really good dear friend in St. Louis. She runs R and R Ranch for the for the miniatures, and she actually has one of our miniature portable stalls. And she actually uses it when horses get sick or they need to be quarantined and so forth. And she has a garage where she has that set up and stuff. So it's quite nice and it's very easy and convenient to to have a quick stall solution. I am so, so glad you said quarantine because I would say 90% of barn owners do not have a stall set up where a horse coming in can be quarantined. And yet most of these barns have horses coming and going. There's health certificates that can be passed and, and vaccine certs and all that, but best practices states very clearly 
any new horse coming into a barn needs to be separate from the general population for at least two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually going to recommend having a portable stall or a temporary stall specifically for that issue. Hey, one last point about that is what makes them really good quarantine stalls as well is very biosecurity friendly in the sense that there's a vinyl material. So it just yeah. off very easily as opposed to a lumber. Easy to keep clean. Would you make one or two stalls for a client or, do, you know, is it really we only need 500 and those yeah. are the customers you do? <laughs> we, uh, we, we typically keep them in stock. Um, more and more our business model, we're, we're really servicing either larger clients or focusing more on our custom fabrication for custom barns. But that being said, if a customer wants it, if we have in stock, we can service them. It's just one of those things where freight oftentimes will kill you though to ship one stall. So it usually makes sense to buy enough of a quantity to spread that freight cost. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yash, thank you once again for joining me on Stall and Stable and for your support. We're going to have you back again soon if we get some more mailbag questions, yeah? Absolutely. And thanks so much for having me again. It's it's always a pleasure. And whatever we can do to help provide value and education to, to your listeners, it's, it's always a pleasure. And as a reminder, again, episode 97 was the last time Yash and I had a conversation and we really do geek out on steel construction. So check that out. Thanks, Yash. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you, Elena. I really appreciate it. Listeners, if you have questions about outfitting the inside of your barn or your run-in sheds, send us an email. And I want to make a mention of tangent materials. Yash was talking about HDPE lumber that can be used inside of their stall fronts or actually anywhere on your farm. And our sponsor, Tangent Materials, makes HDPE lumber. They are the leader in the industry of HDPE lumber. What is HDPE? It stands for some sort of technical polymer high-density polyethylene, maybe? (laughs) Um, It's made out of recycled plastic milk bottles. So it's really good for the environment. And they have designed their lumber to look like wood. So it's beautiful. I I mean, I'm a picky patsy and I love their lumber. If you check out this episode's show notes, you'll see some photos of sample fencing that I have at Huhalo. And it's really nice stuff. And my gosh, is it hardy. And it's just as easy to install as wood is. But you will not have to maintain it (laughs) like wood. It's such peace of mind. So go to stallandstable.com forward slash fencing, and you'll be able to download brochures from Tangent Materials about tangent fencing. Um, Small favor to ask, if you like this episode or you like Stall and Stable in general, please share it with a friend. Pick any of our social media channels, any of your social media channels, and send it along. We would really appreciate the love. And if you have a suggestion for future episodes, send us an email or reach out to us on, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. We, I say we, it's really me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Wherever you can find me, send me a message. I'll do my best to get back to you as quickly as possible. And that is a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it.